know that? What are you people gonna learn, huh? That makes me damn mad when you talk too much. I was ready to put lead in your brain. You know that? take you to the morgue. from the lower back all the way up to your shoulders. They're going to improve your back flexibility and back strength. And let's go. And one. And we're on exercise two, A. Three, and just raise up really four, slowly. Five. Six. And seven. Just easily back down. Eight. And one. And now B. Two. Three. And raise up as high four, as you can get. Straighten five, the arms. Six. Seven, and slowly back down. Eight, and one. And we're on C. Two. Your arms three, are clasped behind you. Four. Five. Raise up. Six. Seven. Slowly back down. Eight. One. Two. And lift up like you're flying. Three, and make it feel four, really good. Five. Six. Seven. 
Spiegelman's behind L-W-A-F-L-M-N-O-Y-T On Mutiny Radio Mutiny Mutiny It's pronounced Mutiny Mutiny It's it's pronounced Mutiny Mutiny Oh, my turn offs are guys who say Mutiny Mutiny? Let's watch a full length movie on YouTube With Mike Spiegelman Mike Spiegelman Mike Spiegelman! Mike Spiegelman! Mike Spiegelman! Mike Spiegelman! Mike Spiegelman! Mike Spiegelman! Welcome to L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Wow, what a long acronym. That stands for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. That is a long acronym, and it's been long for a long time of years. That is that is longest <laughs> name. Six years, seven years. You know, uh, I think we're approaching. That's why uh, we have two listeners. L W A. What was it again? Oh yeah, the other listener thinks they're listening to the L W A F podcast, long winded as fuck, <laughs> which is two guys watching Netflix shows. So, but we're not that. We are going to watch a full-length movie on YouTube, as our acronym describes. Right now, we're on MutinyRadio.fm every Tuesday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, following Found Round Sound with Scott O. Last week, I called him Steve O. Oops. It's Scott O. Yeah, Scott O. We're also right now on YouTube, as we are every week. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T, for the full experience. But you could DYI it today uh, by listening to our podcast and watching a full-length movie on YouTube at the same time. That's the premise. That's what the acronym stands for. Why do you need to know this acronym, Carl? We have a podcast, too. You can find it by searching L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. So you have three options right now. You're listening to us on Mutiny Radio Sunday. You are watching our YouTube channel or you're listening to our podcast. And all we ask in return, why don't you donate some money to Mutiny Radio? Go ahead to Venmo and send a couple bucks at Mutiny Radio. Uh, Carl, gosh, good to see you, man. Good what movie are we know. watching? Oh, I should mention, Carl is a co-host. Gotcha, Carl. Uh-huh. That, means, that means he wrote the theme song, he produces and edits the show, he interviews a celebrity comedian who will do our countdown to the movie today. And he researches the movie every week. But for today, it's the switcheroo. Carl asked me to research and watch several times a movie and presented today. Carl, what was that movie? That was Green Grow the Rushes, 1951. Green, that's what you put in the YouTube search engine. Green Grow the Rushes, 1951. The channel we like is Aminat Oldies. Aminat Oldies. Terrific. Well, I'm really excited about that. Green Grow the Rushes, 1951. And you know what? 
Carl, maybe if we're good, if we're good, and I don't have to pull this car over, I will sing you the folk song, Green Grows the Rushes. Oh, okay. I'm What's, looking forward to that. Oh, are you? I don't think you are. Well, I'm pretending. I don't think you want to know what this is about. Do you want okay. to know what it's about? Well, it's, there's rushes and they grow. And when they grow, they appear green. Oh, so, okay, fair enough. Do, do you know the the REM cover Green Rush the Green Grow the Rushes? Okay, so I did watch this film, and when I searched Why? for it, yeah. okay. Well, I mean, just so I wasn't out of context, I didn't do yeah. any. Re I only watched right. it once. I hardly Fair paid enough. attention, and yeah. I did see REM come up. Now, I was an REM fan. I thought I knew everything they did. I did not know they did. They did a song called Green Grass and Rushes, and if I could understand what the fuck he's saying, I think it is the, the folk song, which I will sing at the end. Okay. You know how you know how the 12 days of Christmas is Christmas is Christmas, Christmas but it's Christmas. not Christmas because we're not singing about anything Christian? Yes. It's the same song, but mm -hmm. every single night there's a fucking something about religion in it. So we're going to have to wait till the end of this movie. Man, we got a packed show for you tonight. Not only did we have an amazing introduction, we are going to watch Greengrass the Grushes. Go ahead, into your searches. Search for it. Okay. In the YouTube search engine, everyone put in Green Grow the Rushes, right. 1951. And the channel we like again was, what is it, oldies? You're not going to find a lot of channels. I'm a nuts oldies. Right. It's the only movie version of Greengrass the Grushes. Yo. They did it again. Green Grass. Green Grows oh. the Rushes. Oh, oh God. Fuck. And I think okay. that... That title has nothing to do with this film. I mean, they're in a marsh. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of Mr. Show. They could call it Flippity Doo, you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's 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 crazy British farce. Uh, green grass aggressive. So go ahead, hit that link. Hit pause. Zero zero zero. What am I not pronouncing the name? Green. Pronouncing isn't the right word. You're using different words. <laughs> green grass. The grasses grow. Right. Green grass. Right. The grasses. 1951. Bro. That's what you don't put in the YouTube search engine. Listen, so we did the introduction. We told them where to go. They got the link. We're about to launch into a pre-recorded interview Carl did with a celebrity comedian who yeah. is going to launch us into the movie. So yeah. we have, yeah, and then we'll be watching the movie. And at the end, I will sing this fucking song. All right. So what Looking a pack. <laughs> you know, most of these bad movie podcasts, Carl, they're two hours long because they talk about the movie. Ours is two hours long because we talk over the entire movie. Right. Right. Much better. Okay. All right. So we're going to kick this off, Carl. I am obviously very animated and excited to see this movie. So let us meet Carl. With, he's going to talk to a celebrity comedian. We'll learn about the celebrity comedian. And then they will do the countdown. And when they say go, hit go. And we'll see you then. I'll see you then. Take it away, Carl. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Celebrity Comedian Countdown, this time with Vahe Ho! Welcome, Vahe! Thank you so much. It's fantastic to be here. I'm Mike Spiegelman. I'm on this interview, too. I'm a good friends with Vahe, and I'm glad to have you on the Celebrity Comedian Countdown portion of our show. Usually Thanks. these interviews are conducted by Carl. We're going to pick your brain, Vahe. I know Vahe is a comedian in San Francisco, a very funny comedian, and also probably one of the best showrunners, has the best show, better than Cheaper Than Therapy, better uh -huh. than The Punchline, better than anything you're going to see. In fact, it, it's baked in the title, The Best of SF Stand-Up Showcase. Uh, Vahe, what led you into doing this? How did this happen? The show? 
the one yeah. that we've been doing for eight years. Um, well, I always knew I kind of wanted to have my own show because it's kind of nice. It gives you a lot of artistic freedom to experiment in whatever way you want because nobody can tell you that, like, they don't want you doing that, um, except the audience. And the audience hasn't told me that. Like, the audience, you know, we've developed kind of a, a little bit of a following of people who, like, know where the show is every Friday and they come back and we feature the best comics in San Francisco, like Mike. In the title. Yeah, it's right there in the title, and uh, it's fun. So, how did it come about? Yeah, I just, I just, um, well, we did a show for Variety, and then I approached them afterwards, and I was because it went so well, it was awesome, and uh, I was like, hey, do you want to work on like a regular show? And uh, they said, yeah, and so we did that, and it wasn't through like without like their great cooperation, it wouldn't be possible because like. We certainly went through a lot of rough and rocky times, and I think Mike, you were probably there for many of those. Yeah, I should say full disclosure: I worked the door for Vahe uh, for several years. The Variety Theater is one of the best theaters. It is one of the weird hidden gems in San Francisco. It's, it's a critics uh, theater screening room where, for during the nineties, I went once. Uh, but they all you all the critics would see the movies there, and it's run by the Variety Theater, which is a charity group that does these charity runs. And does the Vahe's live show. Now, what got you into comedy, though, Vahe? I mean, what was the reason? What was your voice? Um, so always as a, as a child, like, in school, I was, like, making people laugh and trying to, like, be silly. I was, like, always, like, the silly kid, you know? And uh, I think I was always, like, trying to... Because there was a lot of seriousness around me all the time, I felt like. I think I grew up in, a, like, a serious environment and stuff. And uh, I was trying to, like, break through that. And then... In high school, I did some, like, on-stage stuff, and it went, like, really well. So then I was like, oh, I really like this. And then I moved down to San Diego, and I started making trips to, like, the Laugh Factory. Um, but there's a comedy store on Pearl Street that I would go to um, sometimes and, like, some other stuff. And at that time, I think I was, like, 17 when I went up at the, the Laugh Factory the first time. And I told this story on Zoom. It was funny because, like, I went up on stage. I was really nervous. And uh, I went to the bathroom beforehand. And uh, I, so I then I go up on stage and uh, everyone starts like laughing. And I think I'm doing really well, but it turns out my zipper is down. I didn't zip my pants. <laughs> Classic, right of passion, right of uh, comedy. Yeah. And then the guy, you know, uh, what's the guy's name? Like Jamie or whatever. I, I went up and like talked to him after that. And I don't even know if he saw because I think he would have mentioned something about the zipper being down. Like, you know how he gives advice to people? So he told me, like, do comedy. It was either a hundred more times or a thousand more times and then come back. So in other <laughs> words, don't come back for, like, a really long time. But I think it was cool that he, like, did that for comics, you know, because he was, like, the owner. I don't know if he still does that or what, but I didn't go there a ton of times because it was, like, an hour away from where I was going to school. But when I did, I got that feedback from him, and it was, like, a cool thing. So, yeah, it's the importance. I mean, the, the shows are for the audiences, but it also really does help comics to have like a kind of a solid place to, to go from. It's pretty memorable. One of the things you guys did during the pandemic, I, so I was working with you and there was a big argument of whether or not you should run the show. I think it was March of 2020 at the time. And you guys went off and went virtual uh, doing interviews and then kicked off probably one of the most successful still running Zoom shows out there. How do you feel with having that title? <laughs> um it's cool i like it because i like doing the show and stuff but i think zoom comedy does have like a bad connotation to it because i think people associate it with the pandemic and also it it kind of removes like the 
person-to-person element of stand-up, which I think many comics, like, hold so dear. Um, But it is a form of human connection, and I think it will be around in the future. And I think, you know, based on the people that come... You were on the show last night. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and you had 100 audience members, and... uh... Uh, it was, they all have a kind of a community thing. It, it was, it was pretty rock solid. You know, I feel like zoom shows are like CNN. Like once there's a national emergency, everyone's clicking onto it. You know, we just have to wait for another, uh, another pandemic. But I, I do think like the, the cat's out of the bag and, and you guys run a real pro- professional show too. Like, um, you had some notoriety because somebody fucked on, uh, live. Can I bring that up? I don't. I don't want to albatross you, but uh, aren't you the show where someone fucked on live? A couple fucked. Uh, yeah, but it was like a tasteful fuck. You know, it was like it was like one of those like softcore porn movies. It wasn't like a hardcore porn. Right. But, uh, I mean, you know, the way I, I think about that is like during the pandemic, we all did a lot of crazy stuff, you know? <laughs> and I think we should all get like a pass for those couple years and. I mean, geez, like, there's enough holding people accountable for every little thing. It's like, can we get, like, a pass during the pandemic? You know what I mean? Yeah, they had yeah. sex. I personally don't think sex is, like, a dirty, bad thing, personally. But, yeah, a lot of people thought it was bad. And uh, Well, they came They came to see the show. They came. They were focusing on stand-up. And yeah. any kind of extra stuff, they probably didn't appreciate it, maybe. I doubt it. But they, they came for the comedy, so they, they probably said, this isn't the comedy let you know yeah and i think our name can be misleading because it's a very like generic and kind of but also specific name you know but there's a lot that falls under that umbrella you know we add like a lot of personal uh kind of touch to what we do and i I think some people are like they think it's like this thing and, and i think we've struggled with that because it is kind of a poor like marketing communication i guess in a way but uh but no, that was fun and that was memorable, and I don't regret that happening. Is there any like uh, suitable for work uh, crazy accidents happen on, on the Zoom show you want to bring up? Something that hasn't happened on a live show or? Hmm. or... Well, like it's always funny when you like tell a joke and then you hear someone like flush the toilet. You know, like <laughs> um, it really gives like uh, it's always such a humbling experience to do zoom comedy like honestly i think it keeps my ego in check i have like a problem sometimes with my ego and i think it like has kept me extremely humble so um but yeah crazy stuff i mean the nakedness people like we get the zoom bombers and it's funny because the zoom bombers they come on and they mess with the show and i'm like you know we have like an open mic portion of the show like you can actually do a set (laughs) you don't have to like do whatever you're doing and then after I said that, I was like, we want you to be, like, part of the show. Like, we love the energy they bring. Because, like, anybody who logs on to do anything, it's like they're bringing some kind of energy to what you're doing. And uh, so we kind of, like, worked a few of them into the fold. And they're, like, really young kids, you know? Yeah. And honestly, it's scary. Like, I hope that's not representative of all the young kids out there. Because, like, no, that's all that's the young kids. Culture as a country, then we're kind of like, yeah. So you got to pipe pipe for them into the right direction, Bahe. You got to be the ringleader in the future. Yeah, I think comedy is great for that. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, so your live shows and your virtual shows are kind of crash landing together. Can you talk about your upcoming live event? Uh, Granted, it's Halloween right now, but uh, you have you and uh, Christopher doing a show at the Moscone Center. Yeah, so we got an email from this convention uh fan expo at moscone sf and they're like do you guys want to stream or no they said record what you're doing on our like stage at the conference 
And uh, I was like, hell yeah. I was like, but we do a live stream. And then he said at the Moscone Center, the Wi-Fi is really bad, so they, they don't won't do a live stream. But they'll do, like, a three-camera shoot recording where they, like, edit it. Like, people edit it and stuff, and it'll be seen live, like, from the people who are there. And I was like, obviously, I really wanted to do that, so... So it would be a live, so people can go to the convention, see this live, and then you guys will edit it as a as a Zoom show, and then post it on YouTube or on your socials. Yeah, yeah, and I think like they're going to give us a lot of freedom in terms of what we do because this has evolved, and now it's like a competition, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. You competed last night. I thought I got three percent to the vote. Three percent. Yeah. That, that's myself, because as a comedian, I learned you always vote for yourself. You're, you are the funniest person in the room at all times. Totally. Otherwise, no one's going to say that. So you always have to that's vote for so yourself. Right. Yeah, it was yeah. a one-new-time comic last night. God bless this gregarious gentleman. Uh, as loquacious as he was yesterday, he's like, I didn't vote for myself. And I'm like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, well, he's not a comic. That was his first time performing, so he hasn't learned that lesson. Yet. I know. Well, it's it stuck, it's, it stuck out to me. I didn't say anything because I didn't want to uh, influence. I didn't want to encourage him. But, you know, you got to be cold to the new comics. They got to have a thick skin. Yeah, totally. I think he'll learn that. And Because uh, if you don't vouch for yourself, like, everyone else is like, got... You know, a lot of comics are mostly focused on themselves, you know. They're not really in the business of helping, like, other comics so much. And I get it because it's so hard just to help yourself, you know what I mean? Well, it's also a sole proprietorship. And, and you have to be driven, which means you're going to fuck people over if you really want, want what you get. It's, that's why you're driven, quote-unquote. That's Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I've never fucked anyone over that I know of. Um, and... That's probably why I'm not successful. So like, yeah, you got to keep your eye on your prize. You got to put your blinders on, and you got to fuck everybody around uh, around you to get to what you want. And then you get it. And then you then you uh, I don't know. Fuck off. I don't know how it goes. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, Vahe, uh, I, so let's let's get some uh, uh, links where people can find you as a comedian, uh, your dates, uh, and also your this show that's run away uh, live and virtual. Okay, yeah, so the virtual show is virtualcomedy.net. Um, virtualcomedy.com was taken, which is weird. Uh, Pandemic. Yeah, and then uh, bestofsfstandup.com is, like, for the live show. It's a classy room, and it's a classy show. It has great, great, uh, I mean, these are seats for critics to sit down and watch John Leguizamo in the past. So you know these are the softest, greatest-ass hugging seats you're ever going to experience for a live performance like you know yeah. it's a great room which kind of works against it i think at times but oh they get too comfy yeah because you don't want to be too comfy it's a common known fact right that you don't want to be too comfy during a comedy show i guess so yeah you got to keep the cold the temperature cold cool uh so we got all your links we are now at the part of the uh interview of the celebrity comedian countdown where you our celebrity comedian will do a countdown to our movie this week Bye. Take it away. Okay. So, uh, three, two, one, go. All right. Well, thank you so much, celebrity comedian. Oh, we are going to act in this film. Yeah. Green grow the rushes, as I've been saying. <laughs> we You've been have saying a, something. I've been saying something. This is the Marsh, Carl. This is great. No, this is the United Kingdom. It's Great Britain for sure. You know, I love I've seen, the accents in this film. 
Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. Because we have a powerhouse of actors in this movie and two of them are definitely known for their voices and then they crank it out. I'm talking about Roger Livery, who is the captain in this movie. And then of course we have young Richard Burton. Yeah, very young. <clears throat> well, you know, he's a, I did a little research, Carl. I went to Wiki and I went to IMDb, but for Richard Burton, I watched a movie called In From Out The Cold, In From, mm-hmm. In From The Cold, A Portrait of Richard Burton. It was a 1965 documentary. That's, that's early. Well, you know, it was Cleopatra was 63, so they were three-ring circus at the time with that okay. marriage. Yeah. So, you know, but, oh, by the way, any resemblance to any living person, an actual event, coincidence, would be a miracle. Oh, this must be a farce. <laughs> this must be a bureaucracy. <laughs> and sure enough, here is a beautiful southeast England, Kent, and here comes bureaucrats. Oh, with their ooh, bowler hats, bowler hats, and their glasses. Now these three guys each have their own personality for bureaucrats, and they're gonna like diss on each other throughout the film. It's a. I have to say, this film is really good with characters. Uh-huh. I want to just call out this moment. So they they arrive to this marshy area. And they control this land. And the way it's shot, this guy, Nigel Twist, the director, look at this. They they hover over the land. They look like go- bureaucratic gods that own this area. <laughs> Isn't that a re- It's remarkable, right, to start this yeah. movie off like that? It's pretty cool. Look at them. They're gods. Surveying all they survey. They're actually from the, uh, agricult- uh, the Ministry of Agriculture and Fishery. Gotcha. And they're down here in Angela... The poem, I forgot the name of it, I have it. But basically, all this marshland is not being used for farming. That is, people are starving out there. People need their, yeah, you know. And they talk a lot about the history. So I guess, like, I don't know anything about America, right? So if you, we watch a movie about the South and they believe that they run themselves and they have Mm -hmm. a a bootlegging operation. You know, they're gator and they're doing... I would be like, yeah, makes sense to me. So this movie is kind of similar. So this area has history. Like, uh, they talk about Henry III a lot in this. Yeah, Henry III III decreed that they are... They govern themselves. They have autonomy over themselves. So they have a charter. They have a a corporation charter. And they actually have Charter Day, which they're going to celebrate in this movie. But they have their own magistrates... Ma- they have magistrate. Their- mm-hmm. Yes. And so this bureaucracy group is ready to take over the land, but they're going to butt heads with them. And one thing they're going to mention, which is very romantic, is that this area was known for bootlegging. Smuggling. Yeah, like brandy in particular. And But that was the old days, Carl. They don't have it now. But they're right. curious, like, how come these farmers have great houses and they don't have any, uh, they have a couple cows grazing. That's about it. All right, so here's one of them. Uh, this guy is always sick. I've been sick for two years. I have this cold. He's got a two. He's got a cold. How's your cold this morning? Same as ever. Same as ever. Now, could it be allergies? Hmm. What do you think it is? Okay, so here's Gill, Colonel Gill, and he's being interviewed by Honor Blackman, who we don't have any Star Trek connections. But yeah, the closest we do. Closest we have to a Star Trek connection is her, Honor Blackman, who has been in every single iconic British TV show. <laughs> I would say the Avengers. She's dressed okay. up in leather. 
Uh, she was in Coronation Street in the 2000s, which is a famous sitcom. But And how does she tie into Star Trek ever so loosely? Well, she was also in Doctor Who during the 80s. Okay. And she was in The Saint with Roger so Moore. So she doesn't tie into Star Trek what? at all. Yeah, Star Trek is, a, is an iconic American show. American, a show. Not yeah, but what the fuck is Doctor Who, fucking The Avengers, and The Saint? I mean, you can't They're get more Star iconic. Trek. But the, uh, uh, I would rather watch, you would rather watch Star Trek over the Avengers. The, well, the that's TV an interesting show. question. It depends on my mood, but I guess yes. So if you want to jerk off to women in leather, then the Avengers. Well, Avengers is not going to have a green girl. Now that's some jer jerk off fodder right there. Okay. Wow. These are great conversations we like to have. So, uh, and she's also obviously known. There she is. For uh, playing Pussy Galore and Goldfinger. That's. Whoa! Really? Yeah, that's her. Terrific! And she died 94 years old in 20, the year 2020. That's great. 94. That's a ripe old age. Now he goes, What are you laughing at this? And she goes, No, it's just the way my face was made. Looks like I'm laughing all the time. <clears throat> yeah, oh, yeah. Basically, the, the marshland, you know, he's talking about this charter, the corporation. Liberty. And, <clears throat> Liberty. Oh, they're right. The Liberty. Liberty Charter. And that's why they called it that, because they they're autonomous. Now, this was actually based on a novel. A uh, guy named is Howard Cl uh, Chloe Clues. The best thing I can say about him is that Howard Clues. So, like, uh, like Daniel Clues, Clues, I guess. Okay, if it was Howard Clues, he'd be like the rich guy, the aviator. Howard Hughes. A lot of OCD. A lot of OCD. Uh, no, it's like, I guess, Clues, like Daniel Clues. It's C-L-E-W-E. -E. He also okay. wrote a book uh, called The uh, Long Memory. And one of the oh, The Long Memory. When I got to the end of that book, I, I close. I, I close. Do you... Do, what was the long memory about? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take that. Uh, yeah, and it's his, that book was also about the, the marshy south uh, east area of England. There is so like a, a reporter, and she was interviewing him about these what these interlopers who are going to try to government whammy jammy them, force them to have farms. Oh, ah, there, he is. there he is. Let's take a listen. I'm looking for Mr. Wicks. Do you know where he is? I'm not. I he's down in the cellar, watering the beer. Mr. Wicks is a very honest man. I'm quite sure he isn't doing that. Oh, you, uh, you know him then, do you? There he is. That's the voice. Richard Burton. Richard Jenkins. You know, he had a... Yeah, he had a fucked up family. Well, he was there was thirteen kids in the Jenkins family. Okay, uh, I uh, had eleven siblings, but I it was thirteen because two died in their infancy before I was born. Okay, so they count. Yeah, he sounds like Kevin. Uh, he sounds like uh, Catherine Hepburn. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was the second youngest. Uh, their mom died after the final kid was born. And it was like a shitty area of Wales. He was from South Wales. I wonder and if all his big brothers were like, yeah, you little punk. And then he became huge famous. He became the biggest brother. At Thanksgiving, they, they're like, Meh. 
1965 documentary interviews his oldest brother who lost his foot working in the pit. Like you either worked in the steel mine. Uh, my town was called, it meant it was a bridge because it covered two bridges. We lived under the bridge. So his, his oldest brother uh, worked in the steel mill and he lost his foot working in the fucking coal pit. Mm-hmm. So and they were making. He was the only one who could work in that family, and he was making like I don't know pennies on the dime, whatever. Right. It, was, it was some. So yeah, Burton did this for the money, man. Like he. So basically, his story was that uh, he, when his mother died, he moved into his sister's house, who was married to some guy, right. and he got him into school. He got himself into Oxford because there was an acting teacher, Mister okay. Philip Burton. Okay. He saw something in this ah, young 14-year-old. Philip and, Burton, okay. Yeah. So he went up to Sis, C-I-S, which is the name of one of the sisters. Like, she's Sis, <laughs> Sis female. Okay. And uh, they said, I would like to adopt you, uh, Richard. And she's like, yeah, take him. We got plenty. I don't know. She, she, it was heartbreaking. They talked really? to her about it. So he adopted. He became... The Philip Burton was 20 days younger. Like, there was a limit. Like, to adopt a kid, to say, right. I'm dad, your son, you have to be exactly 20 years apart. They were 20 days shy of that. So he had to become a legal guardian for Richard Burton. Not a father, a right. legal guardian. Okay. So, and he went off, and he went to Oxford. And when the war started, this movie is 51. So in 41, he got recruited in this thing. The RAF had, is it RAF? R-E-F? Royal uh, Air Force. R-A-F, Royal Air Force. Royal as fuck. Anyway, so they <laughs> <laughs> they had this program where he would act and then go to school for acting half the day and then half the time. And then the other half, he's in the RAF. Okay. So he started acting on stage. He became, oh, the globe. They offered me 10 pound a week and I took it and then my friend said Richard you should go back and ask for more and then he did and then the producer said fine he goes you talked to that old Welsh bulldog didn't you the (laughs) other guy so yeah he was like he was doing Shakespeare and he started acting in British films and this is one of the British films he acted in now Mike we got an audience you got to tell them what they're up to right now and how they got there Is is that how it happens well, right now she's investigating this dubious. Uh, well, no, sailor. no, it's duck hunting. He made it. She made an agreement, right? The father. She, she's the father. Like owns the newspaper or something. And no, no, not even. Well, the father's not alive, is he? He's in the boat right now. The, it's uh-huh. her father. It's her father. She's really more spying on Richard Burton, though. I think, like, she went out there. Well, I thought it was a coincidence. She goes out duck hunting because she mentioned it with her. She agreed with her father, and then she, you know, this boat, she, she, it, it just shows up. I, she doesn't know that Richard Burton's out there. Well, you know, her father does. Her father was a bootlegger. It's revealed. Her uh-huh. father was in on everything, and they're like, "Should we let her in on it?" I told her, and they're like, "She's just a mice girl," and they're like, "Yeah, go ahead," you know. Now, what are they drinking? Like, they drink coffee in this movie, but it's I think she's coffee. pouring tea. Yeah, it's coffee. They're not oh, really. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know what the contents are. It very well could be tea. But every drink they have in this movie is coffee. They even it even ends with them opening a cafe. What? What? what you're forgetting about all the booze, dude. But I'm not talking about. I'm talking about when they drink. They don't drink tea. They drink coffee. 
Okay. Okay. Now here we go. Here's old suspect. See, going down the river. he just—he just happened upon her. He did. She wasn't out there to spy. She will she now become a spyer. She'll start spying. Well, she was. She didn't trust. Like, oh, I see. There she goes. <laughs> this is me. And then he duck on. Hey, Carl, what you doing? Quack quack. Hey, quack quack. Good Carl, what you doing? Quack quack. Did you hear my duck impression? What's with the rifle, Carl? Yeah. Hey, where's your duck thing? You know, the fake ducks? Oh, I don't need that. Quack! <laughs> Quack! I'm not the spending idea. my money on that. Well, you gotta, you gotta use a, uh, something that sounds like a seductress duck to call their attention. So here we go. Quack! Quack! So oh, Richard quack. was letting the cock with the cold go by. Uh-huh. Because he's sneaking around. Now look at him, man. He looks great. He doesn't look great in that documentary in 65. Uh-huh. He's like chain smoking. Now, Carl, you said you picked this movie because of Richard Burden. Mm-hmm. What is your association with Mr. Burden? Uh, well, uh, we're not lovers. Uh, I don't know where you heard that from. No, the truth is... I was just browsing around YouTube. I think you were having some trouble with come. I don't know, but I came upon it. It was Richard Burton, a huge star. It's uh -huh. 1951, so you can trust that there's not going to be ads. It's in black and white, so it's going to take us to an earlier time. And it was full of accents. No, so but I'm talking about like you. You said you singled out Richard Burton. Like, what is your perception of Richard Burton? Like, no, no, I didn't. I, I just, he's a major star. And well, what is your fucking perspective of Richard Burton then? Like, oh, oh, I think Richard Burton's a bum. I think he's okay. a loser. I okay, that's all I want to hear. Yeah, no, well, he, they, he and, and, and Enabler Girl were just total alcoholics and it ruined them. Of course, and look, of course they, they don't stay married and stuff. Okay, now take him on the screen and I think he's magnificent. Yeah. I think that that movie, um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? What a trip! I, I think that Richard Burton as an actor, and not in this film, is very powerful. He holds his own I in this film. Just... It's not his film to take, though. It's, no, it's, it's not. He's not the main character or anything like that, even though he's a big deal. And the, the script doesn't lend him to any heroics or, you know, impassioned speech. He's just not the guy of this film, but he's still good in it. Yeah. Now well, tell everyone what's going on, Mike. I was about to, Carl, but you you were spo you spoke up. I'm oh, so I, sorry. I, I always. I thought it's all right. We could switch the route back. You saw the movie if you want to do I did. it. I, I, yeah. All right. No, I saw it one time. Okay. All I know is she is now discovering the cache of smuggled alcohol. Right. That's okay. what I know. You, okay, you're gonna have to let me let me lead this. Okay, Carl. Yes, please. Okay. And if, if I pause or my timing is off, trust me. Just let me give me that, that extra beat, okay? You got it. You don't have to step on it. Also, maybe you could shave once in a while. Okay. <laughs> yes, boss. Okay, boss. I will do it. All right. No, I'm, I'm ugly. I always hate bosses like that. Did I ever tell you the time I had uh, – we'll get back to this movie. He's basically telling her that they're smuggling these, and they, they get it. They get it in the net, and they bring it over. And it's been going on for ages, and they have like a fat bob and all this shit. So I had I had a, a show at a deli, and the boss said, come here, come here, come into my office. Now I don't work there, so but I'm right, going right. to the boss's office. Right. 